This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 18, Episode 45. This is Writing Excuses. NaNoWriMo, Week 2, Inciting Incident. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And something's about to break. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dong Wan. I'm Aaron. I'm Dan. I'm Howard, and it's probably me that's breaking it. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Uh, this week, um, as Howard indicated, we are talking about inciting incidents. We're talking about the moment where things start going wrong for your characters. Now that you're past the, the introductory sections, now that you're past meeting people, this is when your story really starts kicking into high gear, and we get pulled into the main action of the book. Some of the things that I find that are fun to play with with inciting incident is that it, it doesn't have to be a big thing that goes wrong. There's a thing we say in theater that um, acting is reacting. So the inciting incident is often something that is outside your character's control. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but it's something that they react to. And so you're looking for something that will give them a reason to react. So it's going to be something that they care about in some way whether that's um, random noises when you're trying to record a podcast because you're aboard a cruise ship as they're <laughs> conducting an emergency drill. <laughs> this is a very random example that I'm using. <laughs> or if it's something like a house, you know, the, the water breaks in their house, but something that causes them to have to kick into motion. A useful way to think about it is that the inciting incident should be something that's not just unusual to you as the reader, but it's also perhaps unusual to your character. If you were writing, for instance, a noir detective and, uh, you know, the client comes in with a case, that's not the inciting incident. Clients come in with cases all the time. The inciting incident is, you know, so I, you know, I went to the meet or I went to look for the thing and... You know, instead of finding an envelope, I found a body. Okay, now we have something unusual. Now we've now we've actually planted the hook. Um, it's not enough to just make it unusual for me. It's very unusual if someone comes to me and says, "Hi, I, I need you as a detective." I'm so sorry, you've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> um, uh, you you need to you need to make it unusual for your character. So I use a lot of screenwriting techniques, uh, even when I write novels. There's a classic uh, screenwriting model that says the, the kind of defining points of a character's arc is the thing that they want and the thing that they need. And what you're really doing over the course of the story is arranging the situation such that they will grow or change in a way that they give up the thing that they want and pursue the thing that they need instead. The inciting incident is what kind of starts that. Before the inciting incident, they're pursuing what they want, and then something happens that starts the story. Uh, the example I love to use of this because it's so blunt and on the sleeve is the movie The Rundown with Dwayne Johnson. Mm. Um, he wants to be a chef. <laughs> and that's such a silly, ridiculous thing. But he wants it so badly that he is willing to work for this horrible mobster as a bounty hunter, basically. Uh, what he actually needs is to stand up for himself and get out from under this guy's thumb and 
you know, whatever. So the inciting incident is when this guy gives him one last job. Go do this super dangerous thing, and I will pay you enough money that you can quit, you can leave my organization, and you can start your restaurant. So the reason that that is an inciting incident is because it starts the story. Everything that happens before that is who Dwayne Johnson's character is normally. And then the inciting incident kicks him off on a new adventure, gets him to go in a new direction that will change him and and turn him into somebody else. So surprising no one, I'm going to talk about the mice quotient as a way of figuring out where you can, what kinds of inciting incidents you have. So the mice quotient stands as an organizational theory, milieu, inquiry, character, event. So in a milieu story, it's driven by our environment, which means that your inciting incident is going to be some kind of environmental threat. Something that, you know, plumbing breaks, uh, your house is filled with bees, there's a mysterious box um, that is... Those you know, could all be the same also thing. From <laughs> also from the bees. <laughs> Um, inquiry is driven by questions, so that's going to be something that raises your character's curiosity in a way that they have to know what happened. You know, they, they have to ask the next question. Uh, character is driven by, uh, basically giving your character angst, but the character wants to change in some way or is forced to change. So that, that inciting incident is going to be a moment of where they question themselves, um, where they first begin to ask, who am I even? And then event is where you're uh, driven by a disruption of the status quo. So that's going to be the first thing that breaks normal. And uh, often these things are overlapping. Mm-hmm. But one of those is going to be a thing that causes your character to to step in. For me, one of the things I'm looking for is something that will not also cause my character to nope out. Like, why does my character continue to do the thing? Like, if they come in and they are, you know, a uh, like a, a normal chef, and they walk in and find a dead body, why don't they just call the police instead of investigating it themselves? So, so there's there are these layers. Like, what is it? What action causes that next reaction? I wouldn't think of inciting incident also as something that, like, threatens your understanding, mm-hmm. threatens the character's understanding. And I was thinking about the the mice quotient as you said it, and I was like, in some ways, it's, it like, if it's milieu, it's, like, threatens how the world works. Your mm-hmm. understanding of how the world works is changed. Like, houses should not be filled with bees. Now it is. Whoa. Um, the, <laughs> the inquiry is threatened, like, uh, threatened my understanding of what I know. Like, I believe I know a certain set of things, and now there's something I don't know. And, like, that is a threat to, like, my wanting to understand things. And so I will go forward. Um, a character story is threatens who I am. The threat, whatever mm. the inciting incident is, threatens my understanding of who I am. And so I have to sort of change in order to deal with that. And then in a sort of event story, it threatens why the world is the way it is. And so there's some sort of thing there. But in any case, I'm a big fan of something that threatens the understanding, which can be something positive. Something that I love about the difference between want and need is that sometimes you get what you want, but it doesn't get you where you thought you were going to go. Because it doesn't always have to be that, like, you know, your house could be filled with money. um, And that is also, (laughs) that seems good, but then it leads you in, like, into bad ways, or it doesn't give you what you thought you wanted. And so it can be both positive or negative from the character's perspective. It's just something that changes the way they understand the world and therefore threatens their understanding of themselves. 
Yeah, and I just want to say that I love that framing. Um, but also to, to Dan's point that often what you have is that you have, uh, you know, the difference between what they want and what they need is that a character comes in with two competing goals. And so a really lovely inciting incident is something that causes two, the, the characters want to bifurcate. Yeah, I think one thing that this is all connected to is in the inciting incident, it'll often give you a sense of the shape of the story to come, right? So inciting incidents are often very connected to genre. So in a law and order story, for example, the inciting incident, nine times out of 10, is somebody finding a dead body. Now we're off to the races because we're in that kind of genre. So that easily fits into, you know, sort of the mice quotient framework, and then gives you a sense of this is how the story is going to go. We're going to be in a mystery, we're going to find out certain things, right? If instead it's the invention of a new technology that changes, you know, the galaxy, then we're in a different kind of story and we get a sense of different kind of stakes and different kind of plot expectations. Um, what Another thing that ties all of these models or frameworks together is that the stakes that your character are dealing with are important to establish early because that is often what is going to lock them in uh, stop them from noping out of the weird situation. Why does Dwayne Johnson do this ridiculous, dangerous job? Because it's going to get him enough money that he can quit and start a restaurant, right? Why does Luke Skywalker leave his little thing and abandon his plan to join the Star Wars Academy? Because uh, he gets a message from a princess and then his family dies. Like, there's stakes involved in this and they care about stuff. And I want to dig more into the mechanics of how you accomplish all of those goals. And we're going to explain a little bit the difference between objective and super objective. But we're going to get into that after our break. Hey, y'all. You're at week two of NaNoWriMo, which I'm going to be honest, for me, has always been the most difficult week. The week when I'm most likely to give up and run away. But you're not going to do that. Um, it's because it's, why is it like that? It's because you're at the point when the initial energy that sort of carries you through the opening starts to become a little bit more routine and you have to figure out a way to keep going. And I'll be honest, every nano I've picked a slightly different strategy because there are as many ways to write your to write your way through NaNoWriMo as there are stories that you might be writing. So maybe you write every morning like clockwork. Maybe you write in one huge chunk on the weekends without sleeping. Maybe you follow an outline that you made up before you got there. Maybe you fly by the seat of your pants. And maybe you're just trying to figure your way through, which is me most of the time. But whatever your maybes are, there's one thing that's absolutely positively certain. You can do this. You are doing this. You are writing, creating, dreaming, discovering. You are telling a story like only you can. So whatever it takes, however you do it, whenever, wherever, keep going. You got this. Welcome back. So as I was saying before the break, let's talk a little bit more about how reader writers actually do this. How do you implement some of these big ideas that we're talking about? So I have this thing that I love from theater, which is called the, uh, objective, super objective. Um, so a super objective is like the big overarching thing that a character wants. Um, and it's, some, it's, not, it's not a concrete thing. It's, uh, it's an amorphous, like a sense of safety or connection or empowerment. 
um, I used to use the uh, the seven deadly sins as a way to find this. Uh, I have more recently begun looking at trauma attachment points. Um, and those are that there's some incident in your past that causes you to uh, to that causes you to make choices in the future. And it's not necessarily something that your character is going to remember um, unless they've spent as much time with their therapist as I have. But it's there are three basic areas: um, safety, connection, and empowerment. So what I find is that things that are safety driven are often environmental factors that there's someone who's going to buy extra locks. But you can have a positive or negative reaction to that. So you can, um, or a carrot or stick. So you can either pursue safety or you can run away from it. So someone who has a safety trauma point may wind up becoming an adrenaline junkie because that way no one can ever take safety away from them. They are in charge of taking safety away from themselves. Uh, and, and you can, you know, connection. Sometimes it's like I need a big friend group or I'm going to be a loner. And so you can decide whether your character is chasing it or, uh, or, or avoid, you know, like chasing or running from. And those are, those are things that are kind of your big overarching goal. That's your super objective. Your objective is the concrete thing that your character is going to try to do to fill that hole in themselves. So someone who is safety, they may say, you know what, I'm going to learn martial arts so that no one can ever, you know, that I can always protect myself. And I'm going to become the best martial artist in, on the, in the universe. That's their concrete goal. That's their objective. Yeah, uh, and that specificity and that concrete goal is so important. Uh, I used the Luke Skywalker example before the break. What he wants, his super objective, is to be a hero. But that is so nebulous, that's so undefined... It doesn't really have stakes to it. His concrete objective, specifically, is that he wants to be a pilot. And he talks about that over and over. I want to leave this place. I want to go join the academy. I want to be a pilot. At the end of the movie, he becomes a hero specifically by being a pilot. That's how it works. And that gives him and the audience, the reader, something strong to latch onto and care about. I think one thing that I like about this super objective thing as well is that it can help you figure out what the immediate obje objective is. Because one of the things that I've found in Nano is sometimes you just put things in because you're running out of ideas for the day. So you're like, a house full of bees is happening. Why? I don't know. Because it sounded cool and they said it on a podcast. Please feel free, by the way. Uh, and so, but if you think, okay, I have a character who's like, safety focus like okay either they want to run in and kill all the bees themselves despite the fact that they have a horrible bee allergy and it's not a good idea um or they're going to be like i am going to build a new safe house and immediately go pursue my goal of like you know killing every bee in the world so they can never harm me i don't know yeah. like that's a that's a way to think about what should what would they mm -hmm. do next if faced with this situation yeah, that makes me think about, I was having an interesting conversation about plotting the other day, and I think this idea actually comes from you, Aaron, uh, but this idea of plotting as if you're driving a car at night, right? Mm -hmm. And so what you're seeing is what's illuminated by the headlights in front of you, which is only N number of yards, right? So especially when you're doing something like Nano, right? You're not looking that far down the road, and I think keeping in mind this objective versus super objective thing can help keep what you see in front of you um, as your next goal, as your next writing target for the day, for tomorrow, whatever it is, 
and keep that in line with your overall narrative, with your overall goals for the character, right? So this is like a real framework that can help keep you grounded and on track. I was watching Paranorman with my youngest son, who was at the time 10 years old. And we reached this point in the movie when the hero and his friends have put together this plan to do this thing. And I, I, I turned to Aiden and said, so do you think this is going to work? Because it looked like a really good plan. And he's like, no, if it works, we don't have a movie. <laughs> and I got to say, I loved that so much from my 10-year-old. And, uh, and what I'm coming around to here is that your character's concrete objectives are often going to be misdirected or doomed to failure because what they're going to try either is absolutely the wrong thing to do or is going to run up against something that drags them into the try-fail cycle of the rest of your book. <laughs> exactly. So your character's objectives are going to change throughout the book, but their super objective is going to stay the same. So I want to give you another tool that I am very excited about for finding your path through. Um, I've recently been playing with uh, this idea, and we're going to put a chart in the liner notes uh, when you go to the website, um, about intersection of self. So if you, if you have those those attachment points, those trauma points, those are kind of representing your super objective. But you also have aspects of yourself. So how we self-define is basically about ability, role, relationship, and status. So ability is the things you're capable of. Role are kind of your responsibilities, your tasks. Relationships are all about your loyalties. And status is about where you are in a power dynamic. So if... And, and, like, one of those is going to be sort of the thing that's more important to you in a, in a given moment. So I'm going to use Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog as an example. There are two things that are important to Dr. Horrible. Status and relationships. And he's pursuing his, his goal, his main goal, is to get into the evil league of evil. His trauma point is connection. And so getting into the evil league of evil, there's a, an intersection there between connection and status, which is society, trying to get into the right society. And that's what he wants. But also along those lines, on relationship, he really wants to be in a relationship with Penny. And so those two things are at, uh, at odds with each other. And as you go through the, the, the thing, when you get to the end— he has to make a choice between which one is more important. And he makes the wrong, for us, the wrong choice. But he achieves that goal. But what's fun about it is that you can move which piece of his self he's using at any given moment as his way of attaching that, attaching that goal. And whichever aspect of self that he is, uh, he's defining, you can use that for your character arc. It's like, oh, yes. I, I'm going to try to use my ability to get in by impressing them. And then, okay, maybe that's not the, maybe that's not the thing that I use. You know, I'm going to, you know, so all of that is something that you can play with. Ability, role, relationship, and status. This is, I have a chart. I will show it to, to you. I'm very <laughs> excited by this new idea. Showing you the chart verbally is a little bit more challenging. Uh, so this, this might be getting a little far afield from beginnings, but it's not. It just sounds like it. So... Uh, another way to think about information to include in the beginning and, and how to set these stakes is think about what that end point is going to be 
And if it's something kind of nebulous, like a decision rather than an action, you can put a physical symbol into it. Going back to Luke Skywalker again, his what he needs is to accept the force, to believe in it and to trust in it. And that is represented by him turning off his target computer. Sorry to spoil this 46-year-old movie. Um, <laughs> and that is established at the beginning when Obi-Wan makes him fight with a, a helmet that has the visor down. He can't see. He has to trust in the force. He thinks it's ridiculous. And then at the end, he does the same thing voluntarily. Another wonderful example is uh, Fury Road. Uh, what Max needs in that movie is to kind of humanize himself, to form a community, to form bonds with other people that is represented at the end when he donates blood to Furiosa. And so they establish that right in the beginning, before we even have the inciting incident, he gets captured and he gets turned into a blood bag. And so it is the same thing. He is giving blood away, but at the beginning it is dehumanizing and horrible, and at the end it is voluntary and loving. And so this physical symbol can represent the change and you can seed that into the beginning of your story. And on that note, um, I hope our discussion of inciting incidents is helpful to you as you head into your second week of NaNoWriMo. We're wishing you all the best luck and may the word counts be with you. Mary Robinette, I think you have homework for us. Yes. So for your homework, I want you to think about uh, your character, that inciting incident, and what it looks like for your character when they fail, if they can't achieve something, like what that next step is, when their objective has to change, what does failure look like for your character? This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Do you have a book or a short story that you need help with? We are now offering an interactive tier on Patreon called Office Hours. Once a month, you can join a group of your peers and us, the hosts of Writing Excuses, to ask any question that is on your mind. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dong Wan Song, Aaron Roberts, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and produced by Emma Reynolds. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.